Yeah, hold that, please. Level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to attend the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to attend the Channelized Bing Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com. 18 plus begambleaware.org T's and C's apply And he scores! Up front with Charlie Austin on Talk Sport Absolutely brilliant! Welcome to Upfront with Charlie Austin, the show that discovers what makes the elite strikers tick. We'll delve into their background, unearth their secrets and find out what it feels like to score the winning goal in the biggest of games. We find out what makes them want to lead the line, what they think they could have done better and what happens when their post-match rant goes viral. This is Upfront with Charlie Austin on TalkSport. Well, today's guest is a natural-born finisher who, just over a decade ago, was still working as a bricklayer. He has already ended one campaign as the second-highest English Premier League goal scorer behind Harry Kane. Across his 12 professional seasons, he's scored double figures in eight and 20 goals in three. His most impressive Premier League haul came in a QPR shirt during a spell he remembers most fondly and where he first reached the promised land of the top flight. Hello, Charlie Austin. You okay? I'm good, Sam. Yourself? Yeah, very good. Thank you. Um, Goals, goals, goals. When did you realise you were better at scoring them than many other people? Young age. Every youngster wants to be a striker, don't they? I think when you first first playing in the playground or your group of mates at the park. I just realised I was better than most. It was as simple as that, I think. Your role as a striker has changed over the years, hasn't it? I mean, we've had so many different yeah. sort of iterations of what it is to be a number nine or to be a front man. How do you describe yourself? What would you say your best facets are? Typical number nine that, unfortunately, is tr- it's almost fading out of the... The game, unfortunately, Sam. Um, I thrive off crosses in the box, instinctive movements in and around centre halves, and I don't know. I just seem to be in the right place at the right time. Is that something you've been coached, or something that you've just sort of instinctively known? Instinctively, I've known. Really, I was never coached until I kind of got into the pro game, and then, if I'm brutally honest with you, Danny Wilson never coached me. He kind of left me to it and to learn along the way. I think he was. He would have rather just left me to what I'd known, like my own devices, rather than try and pick faults in my game. Obviously, I come from where I did, so low down in the non-league pyramid to into League One. He'd thought, right, what's the point changing anything? It wasn't until I went to work with Eddie Howe at Burnley that he wanted to work on different aspects of my game. But it was more improve my strengths and tidy up my weaknesses, really. Do you know what I mean? We wasn't changing too much, and... That was really it. And then I think as the game developed over the years throughout my career, you kind of, you have to adapt, don't you? And 
I've tried to do that and ultimately centre forwards and number nines want to stay down the middle. Um, you got a little bit irked when we talked about the, uh, the the role and the changing way that forwards are viewed. Um, have you ever, after a game when you've been playing Manchester City, gone up to Pep Guardiola and said, what are you doing? You, you're getting rid of my position. No, do you know what? When you watch it and you see them, do I think well, you have to go back to 2010. Remember Spain done it first when Fabregas played down the middle, didn't he? And I think he just showed the quality that they had. But um, it is sad to see, I think. Goal scorers are worth the weight in goals, Sam. They really are, and I do believe that. But you can see the position is definitely changing. Let's get some quick-fire questions put away to warm you up and yeah. get you in the mood, to get a little pre-match stretch done. Uh, what's yeah. your favourite goal, the one that you replay in your head over and over again? Uh, Southampton away for QPR. I'd never score a goal like it again. It was just instinctive ball was from behind me. I crossed from Junior Hoyler, one touch with the right shot with the left and in. Southampton won, Queen's Park Rangers won on 65 minutes. Vargas crossed, Charlie Austin pulled it down, turned and hammered home left-footed. I'd never be able to recreate that again, that's for sure. Um, which teammate got you on the pitch better than anybody else? Joey Barton. Why? Don't know. We kind of struck a friendship off the pitch and it just seemed to work. He kind of knew how to push my buttons and but also get the best out of me on and off the pitch. Which manager brought the best out of you? Harry Redknapp. What did he see in you that others didn't? He just let me stay in between the in between the posts. Do you know what? He he made the players play for me. Where not as anything else, but it was I think as a promotion season, everything kind of fit into place. I was playing with better players, and Harry Redknapp comes with such such character, don't he, to be part of his team, and it everything just fit the bill. What I heard about him, Sam was was everything that I'd seen day in, day out. Who did you have a poster of on your wall when you were growing up? Alan Shearer. It's Alan Shearer. That's the way to finish it. Oh, that's how he dreamt it last night. Ultimate number nine, Sam. He really is. He still is. 260 Premier League goals. Harry Kane's the only person that looks capable of, of breaking that record. And he's the ultimate number nine. If you ask anyone in English football that you say, who's the number nine? They would say Alan Shearer. Which defender was your toughest opponent? Do you know what I said? When I first played in the Premier League when, with QPR, I said Phil Jagielka. I found him really tough playing against Jags. I really did. Then as t- obviously time went on, playing against Vincent Company, I got no, no change out of him. I've always found he was really tough to play against. If you could go back uh, to a moment in time, to one particular incident in your career and do it all over again... What would it be? Do you know what, Sam? I scored nine goals in my in the season for Southampton before I didn't injure my shoulder. Mm. And I truly believe I was playing the best football of my career then. I think it was like 26. I got injured in the Europa League against Hershey Bashiv. I went out for a header and landed awkwardly. My shoulder came out. I had nine goals by then. I'd, uh, I think it was five in the Premier League. I started hitting some serious form. And I felt like I was playing the best football of my career. So I'd have... I'd have to say I'd like to get to that point and replay that game and be in that vein of form again, yeah. You were born in Berkshire, weren't you? Um, how big was your dad? Was your dad a big fella? Was he tall? No, just six foot. Six foot, okay. Yeah. So six foot. I know it sounds like a stupid question, yeah. but you're 6'2", right? You're 6'2"? 
So it says on so it says on the internet. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, maybe you're not six two, but anyway, you were released by Reading's Academy for being too small, yes. which seems a little bit odd for the reasons that we've already articulated. That your dad but was I six have foot. To and say, you weren't. Sam, it was probably the right decision because I was too small. But didn't they and look at your dad and think you can get there? Yeah, not only height-wise, but I think physical attributes at the time, Sam. I didn't grow. It's probably for best. I wasn't performing. I, do you know what? I didn't enjoy it. I was going training Monday and Thursday and playing on a Sunday. I was going to play West Ham, Arsenal, Tottenham, the London boys, even the lads at Reading were miles bigger than me. And it, ultimately, it was kind of a joint decision, and it was down to the reasons that I was too small more than anything. Um, the family moved to Bournemouth when you were a, a teenager, late teens, really. What, yeah. What's that like? Because that's not Didn't a time of go, any- Sam. I was going to say, it's not a time of anyone's life where you want to move, is it? I moved in with my grandparents, Sunday to Thursday. Obviously, Friday and Saturday. I was only 18, so I thought it was only polite that I said it in friends' house <laughs> for them to... Uh, I was playing for my local team, Hungerford, who's only in the Hellenic Premier League. And I, do you know what? I just... If I'm not moving all the way down there, I'm not doing that. Come summertime, I'd pop down and see my parents every now and then. They said to me, look, there's a local team play the same level. Why don't you just go and have a have a try? So I did. Did one training session the first night, and then the lads was like, oh, we're going out tonight in Bournemouth. So I was like, all right. And then kind of just went from there. I stayed <laughs> down. I Honestly, it was a night out of state. Played in like a pre-season game on the Saturday, and... All of a sudden, two weeks later, I was signing forms and I, I moved down there to my parents. And ultimately, it was a, <laughs> a Thursday night in Bournemouth changed my whole life. Where did you go in Bournemouth? Can you remember the club that you ended up in? I can't remember, Sam. It was a big uni town at the time. It's completely changed down there now. But yeah. it was um, it was just one of them that I really didn't want to make, Sam, if I'm brutally honest. I was 18 years old. I didn't know anybody going down there. I'd still have to uh, drive back up to Berkshire to work for worth me dad like so it was like a big decision but ultimately one one that paid off in the end yeah because you were soon a very decent non-league player a word would have got around pretty quickly because you turned out for Paul Town 46 goals in your first 46 games when you got there you were also working weren't you how did you juggle those two pursuits oh just like every Sam do you know what I'm, if I'm brutally honest with you, it's just like every other non-league player. Like you, until you get to that like conference south or to the conference north, as such, and one below maybe. Everybody else has to. They work Monday to Friday. They train on a Tuesday, like a game on a Tuesday. Or they might have training the, on a Thursday evening. Just literally, Sam. Just like everybody else, I didn't have to juggle anything just be, maybe miss like a lot, the last hour of work or something like that to get home for an away game as such but like I, said, I was fortunate my dad was in charge but it, I didn't have to real juggle much because I was I was playing in a team that was full of painters decorators builders themselves plumbers gas men so we'd all done a hard day's graft just pretty much the same as everybody in the non-lease circuit really um, so you, you mentioned that you had a quite a good bond with them immediately your, your, your friends at Paul Town because you went out had a had a great night that Thursday night. My biggest one, Sam. My biggest bond and what worked the most was the manager. Really, Tom Killick. So he got non-league player of the year. I want to say it was like ninety one, ninety two. They won the FA Vars for Wimborne Town, and um, he was my manager. And he always says that like, I see you how I, how I was when I was younger. 
Tom never went on to be a professional, but obviously he played very high up in um, in non-league. And he just, me and him just clicked. And his best friend was the assistant manager, Taffy Richardson, who was 40 at the time, and he still played centre midfield. <laughs> I still speak to both of them to this day. And I don't know, I just, we just all seemed to click and get on. And I think, I guess, I just might, might have taken football a little bit more seriously, you know, Sam. But I fell in love with it again. I was going to ask you, you mentioned that you still speak to them. Have you got many bricky mates or are you, you know, are you sort yeah, of moved like, away no, from no, that? No, my mates, I, I don't have many football mates outside of football. So you're not a big time, Charlie? No, not what comes across. Controlled arrogance, Sam, <laughs> is what I like to call it. Controlled arrogance. Um, no, all my, like my close, I have three or four mates in football, but my friends are all builders. Paul wasn't too far from Dean Court, was it? Obviously, Bournemouth just around the corner. And it yeah. didn't take too long before Eddie Howe expressed an interest and tried to sign you. But it yeah. didn't happen, did it? Explain to us why. No, they have Steve Cuss, who was the who was the coach that Paul Tower at the time, worked for Bournemouth in the community. And that's how obviously got Eddie found out about me and it kind of went from there. But they tried to sign me. They had the transfer embargo, didn't they? And it was unfortunate. I, used to try, I was fortunate I worked for my dad. So he's like, look, go and chase your dream up. Because I fell in love with it, Sam, over that year when I scored the goals. So mm. I can play higher in non-league. And then Bournemouth said, we'd come and train. I trained for six, months, uh, six weeks sorry, and felt so fit. I'd done a pre-season like a professional footballer. I get to that end and Eddie Howe was speaking to me and just said, look, we can't sign you because we're in a transfer embargo. And I got wind that Swindon wanted to take me on trial so I was just kind of like well that's fine I'm Swindon have asked me to go on trial and Eddie went to me he said well if you go to Swindon then obviously that's us done and I was like well, look you can't sign me anyway so I'm just going to go he just shook my hands wished me all the best and and off I went to Swindon on trial you'd scored 64 goals in 57 games by this time um, for Paul Town and you went signed a contract, became a pro at Swindon. What were the differences between playing in the non-league and playing for Swindon Town? It was insane, really. I was training every day. I was learning from new people. It was what I always dreamed of, really. And you've got to remember, I'm from a small town, Hungerford, which is only 15 miles away from, um, from Swindon itself. Most people from Hungerford support Swindon. So it was like the local boy does good kind of thing. And I was... I had to buy my time like six weeks before I actually got into the travelling squad as such, but it was so good. It was what I what I dreamt about. And I was on less money I was on less money when I signed for a pro at Swindon than what I was working for my dad and playing non league. <laughs> <laughs> what was it like with Billy Painter? Because you seemed to hit it off pretty quickly. Do you know what? It was one of them that we never trained together, Sam. We played one game together in uh, against Reading where we won four one and we both scored two apiece. And the following Saturday, Billy started against Tranmere and scored two. And it was like two weeks later, then we played together. And we just hit it off. We didn't see each other outside outside football. We didn't, do you know, Billy was older. He's a father of the ch- children. So I was still young at the time. It was just one of them partnerships that was perfect for my start of my career, Sam, because I learned so much from Bill at uh, even though he didn't obviously go on to play in the Premier League or like, do you know what I mean, into the Championship, I learned so much from watching him at, at that young start of my career. What, what did you learn from him, and how, how did how did it click? Why did it click? What was special I, I don't about know, just it? Just how to be clever, Sam. How to be clever and how to win fouls and different part of the game that I didn't have. 
that I wish I had, that but I didn't. I need to learn. And then all of a sudden, it was just movements, and we kind of it just sometimes Sam, it's hard to explain with people's relationships on the pitch where it just clicks. I never worked with a lot of like Bobby Zamora. I never worked with. Mm. It just seemed to click. Whereas I used to do extras with Kieran Trippier at Burnley all the time. And when I scored 28 goals in that, I think he had about 15 assists. But do you know what I mean? So sometimes you don't have to work on things. And that one with Bill was certainly one we didn't. Well, that first season at Swindon, you get to Wembley. Were there moments when you were sort of pinching yourself and saying, hold on a second, I swear I was on a building site or going out in Bournemouth just about six Sam, months ago. That first, that first uh, game of the season, we played, I was still at Pool Town. We played New Milton at home and won 1-0. I didn't score. And the last game of that season, I played in front of 80,000 at Wembley. So that was the scale I was dealing with. There's about 150, 200 people at Port Tower and 80,000 at Wembley. It was almost like the perfect fairy tale, but had a drastic ending. But on a selfish note, I wasn't ready for the championship. Like, do you know what I mean? If we swimming got promoted against Millwall, I wasn't ready the following year, straight away. Mm. No, I don't. I, I wasn't not at all. And I think that's, as I told you later on, I think that actually happens two or three times in, in my career. We do that and it's when I go to Burnley the next time and then when I was going to go to Hull the next time. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. 72 minutes into that playoff final, you're at Wembley. You're 1-0 down to Millwall. What happens next? Robinson headers me the ball and I head it past him. I go one-on-one with the keeper. I either hit it a yard before the... Before I hit it a yard after, but I don't. I seem to hit it at the, the wrong time and it's hit a bubble and it's hit me halfway up the shin and gone like an absolute rocket past the far post, Sam. And this could be the moment. It's Charlie Austin for Swindon Town, and he's missed it. A golden opportunity, and Charlie Austin couldn't hit the target. I just shrunk. I was a loser in a coliseum, Sam. That's what it felt like. The arena's massive. We're in the middle. couldn't hear. Just block everything. Just went quiet, silent, and I've missed. So what I dreamt about and what I thought about having 40,000 Swindon fans going crazy and it went from 80,000 worth of silence. And and who consoled you? Who helped you through that? Or did you have the strength after to the, just put it to one side? I still think about it. I thought about it for months after. Even now, people mention it to me. My mates' stuff mention it. If I allowed it just to continue, I would have been in trouble. Whereas I needed to... I knew when I went away in the summer to let my hair down. I just, it was my, I just went crazy a little bit. I knew then I didn't want to be a one-season wonder, Sam. Come from non-league, just do it once. That was my level. I was like, I want this again. And that's what I had to do. You you mentioned that you spent the summer letting your hair down. What do you do to let your hair down? I went on holiday with with my girlfriend, which is obviously my wife now. Just tried to forget about football as much as possible. Do you you still do that now? Do Do you always have those moments where you have to put football to one side and do something completely different? Yeah, got to Sam. Like last before COVID come, international break, I'm middle of the season. I went to Iceland, like into the Blue Lagoon up on the. Um, oh, it's great there. Unreal, Sam. That's not really for me. Like the cold weather. Like everyone else, <laughs> want to go to Dubai or somewhere hot. My wife's like, no, let's go to Iceland. Let's go to Iceland. I was like, really? Went there. Thought it was brilliant. So just random stuff. You got to. You got to. You got to distance yourself. That's why I like playing golf. Because I go play golf, put my phone in my bag, tell my wife anything goes on, call the golf club if anything serious happens, right? I am. But I can just switch off. That's what I find you have to do. You've got to separate yourself from being 
Charlie the footballer, Charlie the dad, Charlie the human being. Is that where the horse racing comes in? Because you like your horse racing as well, don't you? Yeah, that was a buzz. I wanted to just, I've always dreamt of obviously owning a horse and that just kind of rolled. And again, Sam, it was separating the football side and the and the horse race. Yeah, big sports and your face gets around and gets known. Do you know what I mean? But it just goes to the point where I enjoyed it and it was a perfect release where I can just get away from away from football. But ultimately, you want to win. Football and horse racing, it's, it's easier to win football than what it is in horse racing. <laughs> um, after um, that excellent first spell at Swindon, yeah. you're quickly off to the championship and to Burnley. And with Eddie Howe, who's finally got his man. Yeah. Did you find it easy making that step up at that time? No, because I played four games, I think, Sam. I didn't score. Um, and then I got injured in training. I shot one day and my shoulder came out. And this is what I was saying. I don't think I was ready. Mm. I never played again that season. So I try, I trained to get myself back fit. And then pre-season, I had a good, strong pre-season at the back end to bide my time to obviously come to play. And then I scored on the opening day against Watford. Um, and it didn't matter how it went in. Keith, I know exactly now, Keith Tracy shot as a deflection, hit me on the chest and went in. Wrong foot, the goalkeeper. One of those classics that sometimes when you need a goal, doesn't matter if it the comes best. off your backside or your chest, it sets but, you yeah, off. Yeah, the best. And that was it, set me off. And I was away then. And I think I ended the season maybe with 17, 17 goals, maybe 18. I got my first career hat-trick um, away to Portsmouth. Do you think that sort of underscores then <clears throat> that some of goal scoring is very much in the head? Very much so. You can overthink it. I've ever says to me, oh, do you, you practice? Of course I practice. Do you do this? Do you do Yeah, of course. But you can overthink it. There's no no problem refreshing your mind and refreshing your memory of when it was going good to look back at why it was good or what made it good. What was I doing then to what I say what I'm not doing now to get get the chances as such. So sometimes it's just you just need one, Sam, just to fall for you. And it's as simple as that. And when it's going for you, they fall for you. And when they don't, the ball goes half a yard to your left or half a yard to your right. And it's as simple as that. You work with... Eddie Howe and Sean Dyche at Burnley. Yeah. What were the differences between the two of them? Eddie's a coach and Sean's a manager. But what I mean by that, I'm not saying Eddie's not a manager. I'm saying I always think coaching and managing two different things. Eddie's a very good coach, a very top coach, like first-team coach, first-team manager, where Sean is an ultimate manager, number one manager, and then he's got good coaches around him. Eddie was the manager and the coach, and I, I think that's where he didn't have that support at the time and Burnham's going through transition I enjoyed playing with both of them and they both gave me different options and but ultimately told me to stay in the middle of the box and, and that was where it was Sean Dyche knew what I was I was a, a number nine centre forward and he got the winners to cross me the ball and like I say he made his team play for me um, After two years at Burnley you, you think you're going to the Premier League don't you with Hull City but yeah. you fail a medical yeah. What's that process, and why do you did you fail a medical? What was the situation? The process like them all, Sam. You go and agree terms and all stuff. Go for medical to try and do all the other stuff. But unfortunately, uh, when I was fourteen, I was playing. When I left Reading, I was just playing from a local side. I took a knock to the knee. Didn't think nothing of it. Played in a school match forty hours later. Done exactly the same. Excuse me, I couldn't straighten my leg, and I went to hospital, scanned it and stuff. But I had to have um, I had a tear in my cartilage. When I went for operation, they couldn't sew it back together. I had to take it away. And then I um, 
for just NHS rehab. But I was 14, 15 year old boy. I didn't have time to go rehab. I just wanted to get back playing as quickly as possible with my friends, which that's what I'd done. And anyway, I didn't think nothing of it, Sam, if I'm brutally honest. I knew I had a problem there, but I didn't know the significant manner of it or how serious it was as such. Went to the hot, went to hold to do the medical and the Steve, I took my dad with me and my agent, Steve Bruce spoke to my dad and my agent in the room and just said, look, we can't do the deal. The, the owners don't want to do it. And the owners didn't want to do it because, what, you still didn't have the cartilage or didn't have enough yeah, cartilage? Yeah, I don't have no cartilage. Yeah, no cartilage in my knee. It's significant of it. But it, then, then I thought, oh, my God, so if one club's not going to sign me, that's it. Like, I'm not, what's going on here? I went to Swindon. I didn't have a medical. It's just, do you know I mean? Doctors check sounds when I went to Burnley. But, but it's a whole, it's, oh, my God, what's, what's going on here? Like, this is ridiculous. But I assume that that would be it. If I don't sign for one, I wouldn't sign for any. It wasn't until my agent was telling me, look, just reading off a number of number of players that were in the same predicament as me or in a worse situation. So they kind of put my mind at ease. And I went back to Burnley and was fortunate enough, Harry Redknapp came calling six weeks later. Now hold that, please. Level five. Thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi. Nice to meet you. Hi. Now, the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Biparsal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what? Sorry. The single most important thing is to Ertz and the Channel Eyes Bingus at the Biparsal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how. Quality sleep is essential for boosting energy, recovery, and well-being. So, take your sleep to the next level with Sleep Number. With a Sleep Number smart bed, you can individualize your comfort level and enjoy a better sleep night after night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $1,599, a saving of $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Barbe with a low cross delivered in. Austin with the shot. And Charlie Austin has equalised. And in the 91st minute, Queensport Rangers may have prized a point from this game. In August of 2013, you do move to QPR for the first time. And it is an immediate success. Or it certainly appeared that way. You scored five yes. days later in the League Cup. You're a big part of them getting promoted. What was it like for you? <sighs> Scary. I'm going into a dressing room, Sam, full of internationals and Premier League players, ultimately. Do you mean when you think about it, look at the dressing room they had. International stars, Premier League, appearances constantly. It was ridiculous. I didn't even play in the Premier League. And my first goal was away, like you said, in the League Cup. Corner comes in. Header away, Jermaine Gina shoots, hits me on the shin, goes in. Like, like you said, that set me off, eased me down and everything like that. And I was just, I didn't score again, I don't think, for about six games after. 
But then when I got one away to Birmingham, that was it. That set me off on the run then. And I was away. You talked about the, the, the people that were in that team or in that dressing room at the time. I mean, the team is Rob Green, who not that long beforehand was playing for England. Correct. Danny Simpson, Joey Barton, you mentioned beforehand. Yeah. Esteban Graniero, who was playing at Real Madrid previously. Johnson, Hoyler, Dunn, Sean Wright Phillips, Genus, Zamora. It was a roster of big names for the time. Stefan and Bia went to Seville two weeks after I signed. <laughs> Do you know what I mean, Sam? It was great. Yossi Benayoun signed. He been he played for Liverpool, Chelsea, Arsenal. Nico Cranchar must have been there as well. Oh, he was top draw. Nico Cranchar, Sam, was top draw. Honestly, he should have rolled right and left foot like a shot. It was just oozed quality he did, Sam. I promise he was brilliant. But the changing was massive. Like you say, you've read off them names there and like I say, I was going in with a profile that probably the QPR fans wanted. And what I mean by that is because they'd had so many names come in, it almost got, not, not an unknown name, but do you know what I mean? One that had not had got this big so-called profile and had come from a massive club and all this kind of stuff. So it just seemed to work, Sam, from minute one, I think, that I'd gone in. I had a good affiliation with the manager and then the the QPR fans took to me as soon as I started scoring goals. I think every football fan loves a striker, don't they? Indeed they do. And you scored a lot of goals and got them to the playoff final, including scoring in the playoff semi-final, which was important. Yeah. I remember the playoff final itself. I remember doing it for Talk Sport. <sighs> and and I think a catastrophe how Derby didn't win. I, I was going to say, Derby bossed that game. Gary O'Neill gets sent off with half an hour to go. It is all going wrong. What is going through your mind? We had a thing just saying, the next five minutes, just get through the next five minutes, get through the next five minutes, just get five. That was our thing. Just give me another five minutes. When Gary got sent off, we're thinking, oh, my God, we're done. Because they was battering us with 11, let alone with we're going to have 10. Rob made save after save. Nederman knew Richard Dunn. They were just heading everything away. But when you have that quality in the team we have, it only takes one opportunity. Junior take chase down a loose ball, doesn't he? And the rest is history, really. Comes in and Bobby scores another winner. That changed my life forever, I should say. Oh, it's come back to Zamora! Oh, my word! Bobby Zamora scores the goal that takes QPR back to the Barclays Premier League. When Gary O'Neill got sent off, instead of taking me off, he left me on and I went and played left wing. Bobby played... I don't think I touched the ball after 60 minutes. I promise you, it was horrendous. But it was amazing, Sam. All the teams that year that have been promoted through the playoffs as such, to do it in that fashion and to get to the Premier League like that was just, well, it was just an incredible, incredible moment. You go to the Premier League and again, it's it's a very different experience for you once more. You're stepping up. How do you feel the next summer when more names come into the dressing room and, and things change again? More coming. I was a little bit worried, if I'm honest. I think, well, I'm going to go. But the manager put his arm around me first week of pre-season when we went away, and he's like, listen, you're my striker. I'm going to play. You're going to play and all this stuff. And I was like, brilliant. Then I repaid him first day of the season when I missed a penalty against Hull. <laughs> you know, so I was playing up front with Remy at the time. Lloyd come back from Newcastle, see? Yeah. We had played three games together, and he went to... Um, then he went to Chelsea, but I'd scored three games later against Sunderland. That was like, 
big weight off my shoulders. Just got my first Premier League goal. I was over the moon. Just got a second away to um, Southampton. I think it was like game six or something like that. But then the manager changed and we played 4-4-2 and Bob, me and Bobby played up front together. Then the whole dimension changed then. And I'd gone back. I felt like I was playing in the same kind of way as I did with Billy Painter, where we didn't work on nothing in training, but match day, we caused big problems together. You did cause a lot of problems that season for a lot of defences. You ended up as the fourth top scorer in the league. You get 18 Premier League goals. You got your first... I missed two pens. <laughs> you missed... You, you got your first Premier League hat-trick against West Bromwich Albion. But this team go down bottom of the table. How does that happen? Sam, Christmas... I think I had 11 goals in 10 games. Like, I just went on a crazy one. Uh, I think Arsenal on Boxing Day on 27th I scored a penalty and that was like my 11th goal it was the highest scoring Englishman around about Christmas time but it was mad it was crazy I don't know how it happens really I think we, when Harry left in February it just kind of went downhill from there 42 goals the team scored over mm. 38 games and you got 18 yeah. of them crazy isn't it defence was a big problem though because you conceded 49 goals away alone Oh, we didn't win away from home until about February time. We played Sunderland away. I think that was our first win. Bobby, Bobby scored a great goal, actually. A ball come across the edge of the box, right foot in the top corner. Harry leaving in February changes everything, you say, and it goes downhill yeah. after that. I mean, many people thought that actually it had gone downhill beforehand and it needed a change. Did you think that that was the case? Was, was that the feeling in the dressing room or, or not really? Uh, no, because we had Harry, Glenn Hoddle, Kevin Bond, Joe Jordan. We weren't dealt a bad hand. We just... Away from home, we was a completely different side than what we was at home. We actually made our home ground like a fortress, like everyone wants to in the Premier League, Sam. Do you know what I mean? But away from home, we just played completely different, unfortunately. And I couldn't, we couldn't put our finger on it. Then we were chasing points, and they just wouldn't come, and it was as simple as that. And we just, I guess we got what we deserved in the end. You finished bottom, yeah. but you got more points at home than 10th place Crystal Palace. That's what I mean. So, but that's no good to know when you pick up none away. Well, how many did we have away? I think. I don't think we've got ten points out, ten points away. No, seven points away from home all season. Well, that's what I mean. So you only have to kind of add ten to that, and you're completely different. But I don't think I could have put my finger on three other games that we'd um, been in it. So, look. It was one of them. Well, on a personal note, it was fantastic. Sam, my name had obviously gone everywhere do you know what I mean mm. but as a team perspective it was a bit disappointing yeah it wouldn't be the last time that your name went everywhere we'll get to that in just a second um what what was it like <laughs> after relegation you know are you agitating for a move what's the deal is there a bigger move in the offing than the one that eventually comes I thought there was I thought there was in that summer I thought it was going to Newcastle Sam I was touted with a lot of obviously clubs because I've done so well like but I was t- I generally thought I was going to go to Newcastle and, and following the footsteps of Alan Shearer, who was your idol? Yeah, of course, I thought it'd be perfect. I'm going to go there as my number nine. My agent spoken to them, and it would just kind of be, can we get something done? Can we? Can't we? This is the price. QPR were being fair. I just come off scoring 18 Premier League goals. Don't forget, Sam. Do you know what I mean? So they were trying to get the best deal for them. And David told me about Newcastle. I was like, that's going to be it. Shearer's my hero. <laughs> like, like, I'm going to wear number nine. I even spoke. I spoke to him in that summer. Well, Alan, you spoke to Alan. Yeah. What did you say to him? You know, on the on the box when they put like the Premier League goals and that, there was one on about him. So I like tweeted about it, 
and he'd like said to me, "Can you cut? Will you come and rep, try and replicate this in the in the Newcastle night show?" <laughs> but I was like, I've just generally thought it was, but it never happened. It was as simple as that. I got married in that summer. I went away on my honeymoon. I called up for England. I was away for a couple of weeks, so I was late back to pre-season. But when I come back. I was still getting touted everywhere. I knew Crystal Palace would like, would want me to go there. And ultimately, I only wanted to go to Newcastle, but it just didn't materialise. So I had to roll my sleeves up and get on with it because I had a job to do at QPR, which I didn't want to ruin my reputation that I'd built there. You stay there for a little while. Then you go to Southampton the following January. Yes. And it starts yeah. well because you you get the winner I'll against Manchester United. I mean, it's, it's absolutely fabulous. You're playing in Europe, as you've already mentioned. Yeah. But then things obviously change. Um, yeah. Hapoel, Bier, Shaver, the injury. I, I actually, yeah. I, I was I followed that campaign. I did a, quite a lot of those matches. And we messed up, Sam, from Brooklyn. Yeah, honestly. that game at me? home, it was a nightmare, wasn't it? You sort of played into their hands. Yeah, and I think if you go back there, you get in Europa League. We won our first game. We beat Sparta Prague at home 3-0. Yeah, you were in the game against Inter Milan as well, weren't you, at one stage? I think you beat them. Yeah, we'll go to Inter Milan. We said, no, then we went to Hershey Bashiba, drew 0-0. So we yeah. got four points off the first two games, thinking, OK. We go to the San Siro and get beat 1-0. I was on the bench, come on up after about 50 minutes. Hasselmalanka saved my point-blank shot from about six yards straight in the boat, he saved. I remember seeing the picture after, the ball hit him straight in the nose, man. And um, it was just one of them. Got beat 1-0. But you're four points after three games. You're like, all right, do you know what? Fine. We beat Inter Milan at home, and then Sparta Prague away, get beat, and then we need to get a win at home. And we just... Uh, we threw away a massive opportunity, Sam. It was as simple as that for the for the football club. But to experience, to play in it, to score in the competition was brilliant. The injury obviously then causes you a lot of grief. Yeah. When, when you reflect on that, do you think that's where it sort of changed for you at Southampton? No, not as such, because when I'd come back, the club had, we'd been mid-table, we'd signed Manolo Gabardini. Mm. We needed to, we needed, new stri- needed another striker as such to come in and it was a pre the summer had come but we'd finished eighth I'd just finished the last game at home to Stoke I think it was one all I think the last game of that season was I remember going away on holiday and the manager was getting the sack we'd finished eighth got beat in a cup final a bit of realism about it I don't get it you, you need to be realistic in football you, you're you not going to break into the top four or the top six unless you you have like the season that like Leicester did or is do you know what I mean you need to be realistic. We get beat to Man United three two in the League Cup final, which was very unfortunate that day to to lose. And then we finished eighth, I think, eighth or ninth in the league. That's a good year for Southampton. And this is Claude Puel you're talking about. Yeah, and then obviously he gets the gets the sack because uh, he came across often as if he was a little bit sort of whispering Claude. It didn't really have yeah, that much about so, him. But, but what was he, he like in the dressing room? Same. But he got his point across. But we have big characters. Look at Jose Font, Virgil van Dijk. When Jose had won 2016, he won the Euros. So yeah, we have big characters in there. And I just felt like he might have got harshly treated at the end. Yeah, we might not have played the best football, 100 passes and then cut a team apart. But a team to finish in the Premier League, eighth, and get beaten in a cup final, there's nothing wrong with that. This is only two or three years ago as we are recording this. So the fact that Southampton since then have been you know, struggling wrong end of the table for the majority of the subsequent period since. sort of underscores what you're saying. Yeah, but since, because um, 
Then Mauricio Pellegrini comes in. And all due respect for him, he was just opposite end of the spectrum to Claude, where he was loud, he was passionate, everything about it. He was just out of his depth. In what sense? That the Premier League is tough, Sam. And it is hard and it is an incredible league to be a part of. And you just look at the managers that are in this league at the moment. I just think he found it tough to adapt. And what would work in the league wasn't working in the Premier League. But he had our best player wanting that was on, on the verge of going to the biggest, well, the biggest club in English football. So he didn't exactly, do you know what I mean? So it wasn't exactly tough. And that it was... Uh, it was exactly tough for him. Do you know what I mean? He had to deal with that situation as well. That was Virgil van Dijk, wasn't it? And the whole scenario around that. Did you ever sort of have a whisper in Virgil's ear and say, come on, mate, just just, just, just get on with it. It'll be fine. You know, you'll go eventually. Oh, do you know what, Sam? Richard Green, I've worked on. Virgil wanted to go in the summer and the manager went, right, you're going to go and train over there on your own with a fitness coach. Oh. But the lads didn't, lads were like, ooh, Fair, like fair play to manager, like we don't take nothing. He's this is how he sees it. He's obviously gone over there and done that, and then um, but it didn't happen, didn't materialise. He come back, first like, look lads, like, I'm here, I'm gonna play, and this, and we're like, good, like because we need you. But no one had the ump with him. He's started to go to Liverpool. If anyone else was in his shoes, Sam, we're doing exactly the same thing. I don't care what anyone says. It seems an odd thing for the manager to do to sort of ostracise him. But I him. think what he wanted to do, he didn't want to, he didn't want to have a player in part of the pre-season plans that he didn't know that was going to be there, but didn't want to be there himself. Right. And then when Verge come back, just like a Rolls Royce, like he was before, and it was as simple as that. Troy always says he smells nice. What, what's the secret? He's incredible. The guy's incredible. He ain't got a bad bone in his body. It's as simple as that. And he smells nice. <laughs> in 2018, November 2018, you have one of your most infamous moments. And players can go viral for a variety of different things nowadays. But you go viral after someone learns of your post-match complaints about VAR and sets them to blurs park life. The best league in the world, the most watched league in the world. I'd give them all the help they need because clearly it cost us two points a day to Joe. Before that to bed, this week worked hard, come here to get three points. We deserve three points today, we let down by the officials, that's why we didn't get three points. When did you first notice it or when did it first come to your attention? Right, the interview. How we're doing this now, you're interviewing me. So now I've gone, now we're just talking away to it. Next minute, I'm getting a little bit louder and a little bit more passionate, a little bit more. But as I am, now there's more people sat next to you, Sam. And now there's more people's heads coming around the corner. Like at Southampton, now it's in that tight little area. Yeah. That was what it was. We almost had, I think there was about 40 people. <laughs> Even there was another recording going on behind, filming. And because this is just stopped. up the tunnel, isn't it? And there's like four caves just off yeah. the tunnel where people do their post-match interviews. No, so it's I'm quite in one tight. cave. I'm in one cave and then the other caves are full. But the other caves now stop recording and then poke their head around the corner to see where I'm going. It was just one of them. And I just thought, oh, it is what it is. Didn't think nothing of it. Got a shower, got changed, leaving the ground. And I see Mark Hughes who's in charge at the time. And he's like, Chaz, what you said? I said, I just hammered the... Oh, about VAR and stuff. But he said, oh, yeah, I just backed you. That's it. I was like, brilliant. I was going off on Twitter or such. I didn't really pay much attention. Went until the next day, one of the lads sent it to me and it had had uh, the park life thing to it. I just started to put me off on the 
the road to my media career, Sam. <laughs> but do you know what I think it is? I'm very, I'm very honest. Something's good for me, it's good. If it's not, I'll t- if I'm not doing great, I'm, I'll tell you, like, do you know what I mean? It's what it is, and I think, I like to think that's why people enjoy listening to me. Personality goes a long way, and that obviously came out during that interview and subsequently. Footballers love their summer holidays. You like yeah. your summer holidays and now your winter holidays as you've got older. Um, yeah. but, but but in May 2015, yeah. you, you have to delay yours a little bit. I mean, it's the summer that you're getting married and going on a honeymoon and all that kind of stuff. But Roy Hodgson's phoned and he's called you up to the England squad. Um, and, you, and you deserved it, by the way. You were flying at Queen's Thank Park you. Rangers. What are the feelings when the phone goes or when the text message comes? How does it, how does it come about? I see, I, there's plenty of whispers going on there, wasn't there, beforehand about that I was going to get called up and this and the other night. <laughs> is it, isn't it, is it? And then text come, and as the text come, the club had rang me and told me this, that and the other. But do you know what? I was meant to get married June the 6th, but we put it back just in case. We changed it to June the 27th, right. just, in, just in case. And if I did, I did. If I did get called up, it was brilliant. Well played, moved the way. If we didn't, like, there's nothing lost. And that was it. I went to England. It was almost like I was going to cap everything off. And that was just just one little disappointment, obviously, Sam, on my career that I didn't manage to to get on the pitch and get a cap. Because it is the um, it's the, the Republic of Ireland friendly, which yeah. was probably yeah. the worst game I've ever been to in my life. Yeah, um, we were both paid to sit and watch that, and it was yeah. it, it wasn't worth the paycheck, was it? I mean, it was really like no one wanted to be there for whatever reason. It was a terrible. It was a, just just I don't know who the game was actually for, Sam. If we're brutally honest, so weird. It was a strange game. It was almost it was a fixture filler, wouldn't it? It was it was as simple as that. But you couldn't have got two other two nations, two countries to play against each other that really didn't want to play against each other. <laughs> Could you? Do you know what I mean? It was, it was so was weird. Before. It was such an awful game. It was just after the Champions League final as well. Um, yeah. And then there's a, a a qualifier to play after that. Yeah. You don't get on the pitch. So, no, so, but I didn't expect to, I didn't think, in the qualifier, Sam. Not after I didn't come on against Republic of Ireland, then I knew exactly where I was. When we play, when I trained and stuff, I realised what how good the top end of the players was. Clinical. We played against Slovenia. And Jack Wilshire scored two goals. Let me tell you, Sam, that guy, incredible. 2015, Sam, when it, when we I was away there and he'd scored, I think he scored the 30, Bennett in the top corner. Just speechless when he was watching him and just see how much control he had over the ball. It was a pleasure to watch, really. Wilshire again. Oh, he scored again. That is a quite brilliant goal. Same left foot. Same top left-hand corner, same result. Do you think that you deserve more caps? And could you have done anything differently, do you think, to ensure that you got more call-ups to the international squad? Couldn't have done no more in the Premier League season when I got called up. Hmm. How do I not get called up more times when I'm the leading scorer in two other camp? Even in March, I was leading English. Yes, Harry Kane got called up also, but we was both leading scorers in the Premier League at the time. Yeah, And then in the summer, yes. Uh, I went to the championships. So obviously, don't get you don't get called up. And then, like I say, Sam, leading up to the Hershey Bashiva one, yeah. I scored eight goals in the in all competitions. And I think I was four fifth stop scorer in the league. Then I still didn't get called up. Sometimes your face don't fit or what. But I don't want to know why I didn't get called up, Sam. If I'm brutally honest, did you get on with Roy Hodgson? Didn't really speak to him. He's not my cup of tea. It was one of them. I'll, 
you're not in the game for that. You're not in that game for as long as you are if you don't have to make decisions and that are not going to please everybody. So I won't be the only person that didn't get on with get on with him. The reason why I didn't really get on with him or dislike was because he didn't give me a cat. It's as simple as that. <laughs> Did you tell him? No, I thought, you know what? I'm going to have to show you when we play against you a couple of times. And you did? Tried to. (laughs) You get promoted again with West Bromwich Albion in a pandemic hit season. Yeah. What's your view on that move? Do you see it as a success? Because it looked frustrating for you at times. I moved there to get promoted, Sam. So on that side of it, it was a success. Did I aim to score more goals than what I did? Yes. Did I aim to play more goals uh, games than what I did? Yes. But again, I scored double figures. I was part of the team to get promoted. So look, look, I wanted to get back to the Premier League as quickly as possible. So it served its purpose, Sam, if I'm honest. But I love my time there because the group of lads was what what I personally needed at the time. What, what do you mean by that? They were good for you in terms of... Good for me. Jake Livermore, Carl Bartley, Gareth Barry, Harold robson Carnu. The younger boys there, Grady, Dean Garner, Nathan Ferguson's obviously gone on to Crystal Pat. Like, do you know what? It was a real good group, a good bunch of people. Remain Sawyers, who I still speak to now. There was just something about the football club and the team. It was exactly like, Sam, when I got promoted with QPR, it was exactly like that. I knew it would happen. Mm. Slav and Billich a big part of that? Yeah, it was a big part of that. But come the end, it was down to the lads. Because I think the nerves got to Slav at the end. Really? Yeah, I think so. When we were when the last couple of games and that, I think so. Where we needed to win, I just didn't think like he got. I think it was the lads that got us over the line. West Bromwich Albion have done it. They're Premier League bound. It's the fifth time they've been promoted to the Premier League, and Slavin and his baggy boys will be boing boing in their way to football's top table once more. Not many people have done the Sean Dyche, Harry Redknapp, Sam Allardyce triumvirate. <laughs> What's it like working for all those three? They all have their own unique way of being a manager to go down to brutal man management top but big sam coming wasn't great at west brom so i was only with him for three weeks whereas the other two man management sam was top and you can see that for everyone that's played for either of them two as ad would say that constantly regarding them both so it's something that I enjoyed for the first two and obviously with Big Sam I never really played so it was just one of them that I was really just trying to get out of the football club and, and was that because of your personal life because you weren't enjoying no, it no lack of because... opportunity Sam I didn't play in the Premier League did I for West Brom it wasn't until Sam Billich's last couple of games where I'd played yeah. and then I made a couple of appearances off the bench for Big Sam but <sighs> I don't know. It wasn't what I were wanted. you not match fit? Were you? No, was just what, well, I just it just wasn't making selection. It was as simple as that. Sometimes you just they want to go in a different direction. When Big Sam came in, I thought, oh, do you know what I might play? But obviously not. Even when he was in charge for his when he was in charge of England that time, I think I was. I think I was doing okay. So when I thought, oh, do you know what? If I continue to do all right, I might be in for a sniff. But it was one of them. And look, it was best for the football club that I left West Brom. And it was the best for me that I needed to get my career where I needed to get back to. You said on returning to QPR, I needed to be happy again and QPR's the happiest I've been throughout my career. So why does it click for you there? Why is it your spiritual home? I don't know, Sam. Sometimes you go to places where it just works and just clicks and people people you work with and the, the way I feel about the football club and my family. From, from moment one, when I first went there, they just took me in. They took 
my family in, made us feel like we'd been there for years. And when we were back there, they was in a position that I'm, I needed to help them. But they needed to help me because I didn't know what was going on with my own career, Sam. So I need to go there and succeed and score goals and win games of football. And they needed to win games of football to get out of the position they was in. And ultimately, we clicked. And I think I just was i given the brute honesty at first. Stefan Johansson was a massive help for us. He's our club captain now, which is which is fantastic. Sean Geordie Device. And then Sam Field, who was at West Brom with me at the time. And then we just put in a bit of steel and then belief more than anything, Sam. We just give the team belief. And I think you look at the run we went on. I think the second half of the season, we was we was third, I think. Only Norwich and Watford had more points than us. So that speaks volumes for what we can achieve. But as you know, and I do, it's over 46 games. And so far, it's been over 32 years. So how much more football is there in Charlie Austin? I don't know. I, I, I love it, Sam. I love it. I love going into football every day and I'm going to see me mates and have the crack and do something that as a little boy I'd always wanted to do. But I don't know, Sam, if it's for as long as I can keep scoring goals and enjoying it and I see where I go. But everyone has a, has a point where they're at. But again, I'm only 32. But the best thing I've done, not the best thing I've done, but on the flip side of it, when you look outside of football, I've done a post-match interview that I went viral for. People had seen that I have a personality and a passionate and how I speak and kind of taken a liking to. And it's managed to, to open doors that I probably wanted to, but never, never thought it would happen, really. And I don't know. I guess it's going to happen in the future. Well, good luck to you. Thank you very much for joining us on Upfront. We appreciate it. It was a great chat. And uh, good luck with QPR. Top man. Cheers, Sam. You've been listening to Upfront with Charlie Austin and me, Sam Matterface. And if you've missed any of the show or want to catch up on any of the previous episodes from the series, then you can listen via the TalkSport app and we're on the Game Day podcast feed. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds? We set them. Form guides? We've got them. Expert opinions? We share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds updates on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Yeah, hold that please, level five, thank you. Ah, you must be one of our new interns. Yeah, hi, nice to meet you. Hi, now the most important thing to know is to Ertz and the Bypassal Rise plug sale. The most important thing is what, sorry? The single most important thing is to Ertz and the channelised Bimbingus of the Bypassal Rise plug sale, and you'll be fine. Uh, yeah, that sounds important. Does work chat all sound like gibberish to you? Find collaborative articles with tips from the LinkedIn community to help you get through those tricky conversations. Making work make sense? LinkedIn knows how.